Good morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumster, and today we're going to be talking with Dave Weisbeck from Vizier. Welcome, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well, and uh, it's been too long since we've had a chance to connect, John, so I'm really looking forward to uh, this morning. This this tells you something. Longevity is an interesting thing. This has got to be about the 400th one of these interviews that I've done, and the last time we talked was in 2014, I think. Wow, it's been How too long. How could that be? How could that I know. be? I think, so, I think you're going to have to do some analysis of your data, because I, I think we've talked, we must have talked, you know, after then. I, I just think we haven't done one of these radio shows. I know we've talked since then, but but uh, we haven't we haven't done one of these. I went back and looked hard because I was shocked at my <laughs> at my sloth. I was shocked at my sloth. Um, anyhow, um, take a moment and introduce yourself, would you? Yeah, happy to. So Dave Weisbeck, uh, Chief Strategy Officer at this year. Uh, most of my team knows I have a favorite joke, uh, which is uh, nobody knows what a chief strategy officer does, which is perfect for me. That means it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm always, you know, right on task. Uh, and as I say, that's my favorite joke. So it's, good. it's not a particularly good joke. Um, so the, the wonderful thing is my passion is really analytics. Actually, my true passion is people analytics uh, and really trying to help organizations figure out how to better use data around people make their business better. So it's a good thing that's my passion rather than humor because, as I say, it's not particularly a good joke. So you remind me of my favorite bad joke, which is about my grandmother. As she was getting older, um, she would sit in her barca lounger and yell at the TV. And I thought, the poor woman has gone mad. She thinks the people on the TV are people that you can talk to. Little did I know she was a Center because today I make my living sitting in a chair yelling at the TV. Anyhow. As long as the TV doesn't respond, then then you're fine. Oh, no, the TV, see, see, the TV does respond. It's me who believes that those little people on Zoom are actually real people that you should talk to. <laughs> so... Yeah, you're supposed to laugh. That would be that would be the polite thing is laugh there. Um, so so <laughs> not everybody's heard of <laughs> not everybody's heard of Vizier. Um, uh, tell me about Vizier. Yeah, happy to. Um, somebody once uh, told me somebody wiser than me once told me that when you look at it, any given company, every organization, there's four fundamental things that they try to to measure. Um, their customers, want to know more about them. Their, whatever it is they're selling, their products, want to know more about them. Of course, they're people. And then we look at you know, finances or the money, which is how we keep score. And what has always stood out to me as particularly odd and weird is the, the foundational one. The one that's most important of all of those, for me, is very clearly people. Because people are how all of the other things get done. We don't have customers if we don't you know, acquire them through our people. We don't have products if we don't build them and design them and ideate and innovate them through our people. And yet it seems to be, oddly, the one that is least advanced, least furthest along, least adopted and you know, widely used and pushing the forefront of you know, how do we make better decisions about our people. Now, I think there's really good reasons for that, that you know, trying to figure out how to use data about people is not easy. 
And people are, are resistant to being measured. Uh, it's the nature of who we are. You know, we, we're gray. We live in the, we're squishy. We're hard. We're hard to pin down when it comes to data. And our job at Vizier is to change that. Is to allow people to make their business better, to make better decisions about their people, to create a better future through decisions they make on their people by unlocking that information, that data. And our, our mission is to try to make even that word analytics disappear so that people can really just think about making better decisions and think less about the tools and how do we query data and how do we you know, move it around. We're trying to make that disappear so that it's accessible and usable by everyone. So Vizier produces a tool set that you wish worked called analytics um, that help people make better decisions. Is that the, the upshot of that? Yeah, we would call it people analytics, uh, you know, as a, as a broad term of what it is that we do. But at the end of the day, we have tremendous amounts of data on people. All of these systems and processes that we've put in place have data on our people as exhaust. It falls out of those systems. The advantage that people can get is by using that data to make better decisions. So the, the traditional stuff that we think about is almost always gets to things like retention. How do we not lose people? But how do we, how do we hire better people can be the inverse of that. So the front end of the life cycle, the tail end of the life cycle. Um, how do we hire cheaper? How do we hire faster? How do we hire better, higher quality? How do you measure quality of hire? If we don't, if we don't have mechanisms to measure these things, we don't really know if we are better. And those are, you know, very pragmatic examples. But customer loyalty or customer satisfaction, that comes from an interaction. Fundamentally, that comes from an interaction with people. Your customers interact not with the company; they interact with people, and that is people data. How do you understand and measure? The impact of your people as a connection to customer loyalty, that is, that is a, a more advanced connection to a business outcome, is an example of how we want to keep pushing forward to allow people to really improve those outcomes of their business by looking at those aspects of people. And connect it into health outcomes, just training of your people or the staffing levels in a, in a ward in a hospital. Does that lead to better health, whether it's accidents or you know, patient recovery time? These are the types of things that are the real opportunities that we, we see. And certainly we have you know, customer stories of people being able to do that successfully as well. That's interesting. So you're talking about this, this is the, the last time I looked deeply at Vizier. I don't think I really saw this, but, you're, but you are – you are you're talking about directly tying people data to business outcomes now, and that's that's been sort of the holy grail. So so you've made a ton of progress there. It sounds like how's that journey been? Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Maslow's hierarchy. For those you know aren't aware, right? You know the base of the pyramid is is you know the the core things we need for life. You know air, it's, you know, we have to breathe, we have to eat, we have to, you know, we need water. But as you move up and higher, right, we get into things like, you know, self-actualization, pursue art, and, you know, we, so there's a hierarchy. So think of it like a maturity curve. And in analytics on people, we have something similar. You know, we start the journey of, like, we walked into the meeting and, you know, 
we showed up with headcount numbers that said one thing, finance showed up with another set of numbers. And that's kind of our air and water. But as we move up, we think those higher echelons of that maturity curve or the hierarchy and thinking in Maslow's terms is really you've got to expand your mind in what is people data. Our systems that measure, you know, our sales, are, it's people data. Our systems that measure, you know, the you know, productivity of whatever we're producing, whatever our product happens to be, this is also people data. We have to draw connections to the things we traditionally measure about people to those other sources of people data. So that's what we've been working on for a very long time here at Vizier, is to try to help make those connections. And so we've really brought together and confederated all of the traditional sources of people data and been very successful at doing that so that, yes, we can, you know, we can connect all those different disparate systems and you're a big global company, you've got 100 different systems, yeah, we can help you with that. Um, and then we can you know, draw connections across our customer base to tell you how you compare from the benchmarks. But yeah, the, the holy grail from our perspective is still to connect that data to something that it's impacting things that the CEO is fixated on. You know, is it is it revenue or is it expenses? Is it customer loyalty? Is it you know, is it is it operating efficiencies? Is it, is it you know, what is it that are your business priorities? That's how you get real impact, and that's how you know what we do from a an HR discipline becomes far more important and strategic to the company. Got it. So so this year has been amazing in the way that it's galvanized the people analytics community to make a serious contribution to organizational insight during the pandemic. I'm just amazed as I watch what happens there. Why don't you tell us a bit about that? How's that going? Yeah, so um, it was March 11th for us when we decided we were going to do, you know, we have to try to be ahead of the curve on these things. You know, it's part has to be in our DNA in order for us to be a good company as it relates to thinking about the most profound questions we should be asking about people. We have to be an exemplar, you know, good example. March 11th, we decided as a company, we were going to do a dry run of everybody going, working from home. Uh, And it turns out, uh, we never went back to the office on March 12th. Uh, around that same time, we realized as well that everybody else is having these questions and struggling. And so we said, we have to react. We have to help people with these questions that they're having. And so we created something that we named crisis management. Because we realized that what we're going through as it relates to, to COVID is one crisis, but, you know, unfortunately, you know, the world has more than one crisis in its history. So we said, okay, what are the, what are the key questions you're going to be able to need to answer? And the first phase of what we did was all about the, the tough questions that we had to, you know, it seems so long ago, but the tough questions we had back in March. Where is everybody? Are they all in safe places? Are they in hot spots? Can they get home? We started to see the wave of travel restrictions hit. Should we allow travel? Well, we didn't have to make that decision. You know, you know, governments shut down travel, so we weren't even allowed. And then we had to think about getting people home when were they were they safe. So phase one is really about a lot around making certain that um, 
we are doing everything we can to help people answer the questions about where their people are. Are they in safe places? Can, you know, can they, can they be productive where they are? And those sets of questions. Uh, at the same time, we kicked off a weekly forum because while we had spent a whole bunch of time thinking about these questions, in about a two-week time frame, went from thinking about those questions to delivering a solution for our customers that you know, we stood up just as part of their subscription, so there was no fees. We just said, this is the right and best thing to do, so we're going to provide this for you. Um, at the same time, we realized we didn't know all the right questions. So, and things were changing so fast, we had to help people by creating a forum for them to you know, share best practices, you know, share challenges, so we could help to answer them. But quite frankly, we can't answer all the questions. Um, a lot of their peers had to answer those questions. And when we set up that forum, we ran it every Wednesday morning to bring together a diverse community and talk about various topics. You know, it could range from, from really hard-hitting ones that are more economic and lifeblood of, the, of you know, a given company to engagement and you know, how do you keep people engaged in, you know, in these troubling times. And we made it wide open. We had people we would consider our competitors. We invited them and said, you know, there's, there's, a greater, there's a greater need here. And so for me, that's one of my proudest points of what we did is really creating that forum for people. Our head of HR here at Vizier, um, Paul, Paul Rubenstein, he has a wonderful expression he likes to use to challenge us, which is to remember that leaders, one of the powers you have is the power to convene. And I think that's what, why I'm proud of what we did here at Vizier is we use that power we have as a leader to convene the community to get together and say, what are those questions we all need to be thinking about? Now, to the crisis management solution that we created and you know, provided, you know, phase one, as I said, was all you know, really about um, a lot about health and safety of you know, the workforce and you know, keeping, the, keeping the lights on in terms of basic productivity. It certainly transitioned into a more economic story and so we continued to evolve that solution and make certain that we could answer tougher questions about, you know, furloughing employees and, you know, other things that companies had to face as, you know, the health fear turns also to an economic fear. And so, and that continues today as us, you know, as us try to help companies who face really both issues today. So, so I think this is a, this is a case study and it's a case study of a company that, pioneered a discipline so you had to be leading customers in the very beginning but to accomplish what you've accomplished this year you've had to sit back and let customers lead and aggressively let customers lead because eyes on the ground is what you need to solve problems like the kind that we have right now and that shift from um sort of market visionary to to market facilitator is something that really bedevils companies who are trying to get to honest to goodness big scale uh, because it's 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 a part of the evolution but but it's a really really challenging thing and so congratulations on doing that it's an amazing accomplishment for my money yeah, and I so think it also goes a the, little as you going to you know add there that yeah it goes a little bit to our DNA as well one of the things that we've been here at the beginning uh, of this year is this idea that when we think about analysis, 
most of us think of like a chart. You know, that's what we immediately kind of picture in our head. But in Vizier, it's always been the question. If you can come up with a really powerful question, um, and there's this wonderful Einstein quote, which is if you, know, if you give him an hour to solve a problem, he'd spend 50 minutes of it thinking about, you know, really defining the problem, you know, coming up with the right question before answering it. And that's always been in our DNA. And we often get asked, where do we come up with our questions? And it has to come from the community at large, you know, not just our customers, but, you know, everyone. Um, and so, and so it, is a, it is a proud moment for us that we were able to live up to our, you know, our own vision of you know, the way this should work. So walk me through a couple of the success stories in the, in the um, crisis management function. There's some amazing yeah, actually, there's, there's, yeah, there's a, a few little anecdotes I can, I can share um, and then some, you know, maybe some bigger impact ones as well. But I'll, try, I'll try to be brief. Um, the, the, one of the, the first things that we saw is everybody suddenly uh, moved up an order of magnitude of how frequently, you know, they were trying to analyze their data. Those who had some monthly process suddenly were weekly. Those who were weekly were daily, and those who were daily were, you know, multiple times a day. So it was really interesting to start to see that in their own kind of usage data that helps us to understand, you know, what people are using and, you know, how frequently. The other thing that we saw is everybody started to put more data in. All that data that was a, you know, what was at one point felt like it was nice to have was now suddenly mission critical. So you know, we saw we saw that. In particular, one of the first movers was in uh, healthcare, as you would expect. And so they had these really tough challenges of trying to figure out, you know, how do we um, figure? Hey, we're going to have to create a ward. That ward's going to have to be, you know, cordoned off. Who is going to be in that, you know, that that ward or the floor that we cordon off? Um, who is frontline and has exposure? Who is back office and can support, but actually we don't have to worry? And so you, these notions of contact tracing that we, you know, we think about now, all of this from a healthcare perspective, they had to be way ahead of that curve. One of the interesting ones around um, data that everybody says is kind of impossible to get, skills data. And so one of the things that we saw happen is people said, well, we don't have a choice. We have to get this information. And so let's just ask people to voluntarily put it in. And everybody told us that was impossible. Nobody will do that. Well, it turns out uh, in a crisis, people, at least within a crisis, people will do that. Um, and so we saw, we saw these incredible movements. But my favorite story as it relates to, you know, a, a company doing something amazing, um, of course, I can't say the name, but they're a hospitality company that is, uh, a bit unique in that they really support events. You know, they have operations in every state, as you know, well as Canada as well. And so, as you can imagine, from a hospitality perspective, you know, they're dramatically impacted. Uh, you know, that's it. Events aren't taking place. You know, everything's being shut down. They're just not allowed to fundamentally operate. And so they've got some, like, can we survive as a business? You know, what do we do? How do we, how do we you know, move forward? to the notion of how critical analysis of people and people analytics is. The vast majority of the decisions they made, where did they all come from? Came from two people sitting together, staring at you know, the war room you know, sets of data that were being provided by Vizier in this case. And those two people were the CFO and the, you know, the, the head of people analytics. And so they, every day, we're running through, you know, war room scenario, you know, cutting data a hundred different ways 
to try to do the best they could by their people, at the same time making certain there was a company at the end of this for people to come back to. But the part, you know, talking about, you know, furloughs and, you know, and reductions in force is maybe not the most heartwarming story, but the part for me that is, that is quite heartwarming in this is one of the analysis that they did is also to look at how can we support through our workforce or how can we help our workforce to move into those roles and positions and companies that are actually having a tremendous shortage of labor. Because ultimately, there was no one-size-fits-all answer to, you know, everybody had to, you know, get real tight, you know, with their belt as it related to expenses around people. Some industries took off and had tremendous shortages. So can we keep them on the payroll or can we keep them on our benefits plan, but you pick up the salary? And so they did a lot of that analysis to try to move their people from where they were from a hospitality perspective to start to support, whether it's you know, some of the home delivery or whether it's healthcare, and, and try to re- really do, as I say, best by their people, but also give back to you know, society at large. And for me, that's what makes it a really, a really great story, is that they weren't just you know, thinking bottom line, they were also thinking greater good. So there's, there's so much we could cover in this conversation. I think the next thing that, that, that I want to get to that, that um, we might bounce around a couple of different ways is up till, I call it Valentine's Day, you might call it the middle of March, but up till whenever we fell off the cliff, the entire theory of analytics depended on regular historical data in which you could find and project and predict patterns. That was yep. the game, right? There was the, the game was the game was look at the historical data and notice how it's changed. And today we don't have that, right? The historical data referred to a time that we may fondly look back on, but but um, we don't know it. Those bits of data have precious little to do with what's going on today, and the routine operational baseline that's necessary to produce the next layer of historical data is some distance away. We don't even know if kids are going to school in the fall or if uh, you're going to be allowed to travel for business routinely or be able to travel for business routinely all these questions are up in the air um and so we're we're in a thinner environment for data and I, and I wonder how how you think about people analytics in a world where there's no baseline yeah the one of the universal truths in life is that you know the correct answer to any question is it depends and all things are relative. In this case, I think <clears throat> the all things are relative perhaps applies. So um, one of the things we've definitely seen, I actually had a good conversation with uh, Jason Haverbrook not that long ago, and he made this very impassioned point, uh, which if those who know Jason, he's very good at making very impassioned points around yes, how all business, plans, all business plans have been scrunched up and thrown in the, you know, in the trash bin. Um, and, and so everybody is, Everybody's looking at this really tight timeline around, you know, whether it's information or data or decision making in general or plans or, you know, if you've got a strategy that's longer than a month, you're, you're probably optimistic. So that's very true. And I think 
attaches to the point. Um, and so I think one of the things that's happened is that we've seen is a tightening of the trend line. Where a trend line in the past might have been, you know, in quarters, it's now we still want to see um, what is happening and what is changing. The trend lines are very much about change, understanding, you know, a pattern about which direction the change is going. But now our, our timelines have shrunk. So what was historical perhaps in months, quarters, or years is now historical in, you know, perhaps weeks, months at best. So I think you've seen some of that change. I think you've also seen uh, people looking at historical data from a different perspective. So one of the things that I know I went back and looked at directly to get a better understanding is 2008-2009, the time frame I lovingly refer to as the finance apocalypse. And <laughs> it is very informative of what we're going through right now. And, and there are lessons to be learned. It may not be a chart with a trend line, although in this case you can get some of that chart and trend line data that shows the, diff, the changes in the labor markets. And you can think about, you can think about roles in a buyer-seller relationship. You know, employer is, you know, selling a role. An employee is looking to, you know, kind of buy it. You can, you know, you can play with that in either direction. But, but the point is that we have a fundamental shift of that relationship. And that is informative to, to hiring, compensation, you know, because compensation at some level comes down to negotiating power between employee and employer. And so it is also true that those trends are still informative of today. It's the old, you know, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. And so I still think some of those comparisons are, are valid. Now, you also get things like benchmarks that tell you what good looks like, and you have to recognize that, you know, that we, we have to set new benchmarks. Um, and in this case, again, I think it becomes a question of time and a question perhaps of, of relevance. If your engagement has fallen um, so that it is off by historical comparison, uh, is that a great you know, concern and something's going wrong with our business? No, it's probably fine. Uh, because look at the grand uncertainty, and uncertainty leads to distress, which is going to impact your engagement. Um, you know, if you've had to make reductions in force, you're certainly going to have some, you know, expected feedback loop as, as it relates to engagements from those who remain. So we should expect these things. But we will have to, of course, refresh and reset, repeg what those comparison points are. I mean, that's what we try to do from a Vizier perspective is say, you know, benchmarks really should be at least quarterly, if not, you know, more frequent. And so we want to, part of how we want to help with people, is to get people off this kind of annual notion of, of benchmarks. We need a much more refined level. But the financial and Wall Street can do it quarterly. You know, we need to be doing so in people analytics as well. And so there's, there's again, it goes back and reinforces that point that I think the timelines have crunched. So it almost feels like we're in a weird spot. We're really looking at things we might consider more history or things that we might consider more real time. Um, but I think the weird path in the middle, which is let's look at trends over two years, on that point, I'd absolutely agree. You know, those comparisons perhaps aren't that, aren't that helpful or relevant for us. Well, we're, we're about out of time today. I think you and I ought to have another one of these conversations and dig into the implications for diversity. And, you know, there's a, I'm seeing from the 
engagement measurement companies a general notion that engagement scores are going up, and it's directly correlated yeah. to uh, um, layoffs. Um, so, so when you have layoffs in your company, you should expect engagement scores to go up. And my sense is that's because you can't believe the data at all now. <laughs> and so, 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 so we should we should have a conversation where we get where we get where we get into those things coming up. It's been a real treat, and, and I'm sorry we don't have an hour to do it today. Yeah, I would Thanks. love to come back and and pontificate more with you, John. It's always a pleasure. Okay. Yeah, well, let's do that in August sometime. Um, um, thanks for taking the time to do this, and thanks, everybody, for listening in. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations, and we've been talking with Dave Weisbeck, who's the Chief Strategy Officer at Vizier. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye now. 